And we're back. Welcome, Bird Gang. On today's show, Paul Calvisi joins me here on the eve of training camp. Players report on Tuesday. So what are the big questions? Two have already been answered. Kyler Murray got his contract, and Rodney Hudson is going to play this season, thankfully. We'll help set the stage. But first, we've got to talk about the new alternate helmet. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 571, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. In a word, Paul... Wow. Sunday, the Cardinals unveiled an alternate helmet. And I just have one question. Where can I get my hands on this helmet? Black helmet, red flex. It is something to behold. When you said wow in the one word, I'm like, well, you're going to have to narrow that down. You talking Kyler contract numbers like dollar signs? Are you talking about the start of camp uh, is upon us? Or in this case, yes. It's sort of like you have to, when you buy a new car and you, and you read the window sticker, you know, and you all the features, the shiny gloss black shell with red flex or the iridescent chrome decals with a gradient screen, black face mask and black chips. A lot has gone on. And it's going on with this helmet. And think about it. Here's the whole cannoli stat. I didn't quite comprehend. You knew it inherently, but I didn't realize it till I saw it in print on azcardinals.com that the last time the Arizona Cardinals, the Cardinals as a franchise, wore a non-white helmet was the late 50s. 1958. That predates you, Paul. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you're darn tuned it does. Uh, the fact you had to point that out there is a little concerning. <laughs> okay? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's understood. It predates me. Are you kidding me? So it is going to be strange. It's going to be glorious in a lot of ways, and I'm not necessarily in that camp of the Cardinals, some of those vocal Cardinal fans who have been pining for this uniform change. That's not me. Whatever. Just roll the ball out there. Let's play. I'm not necessarily a uniform guy, but it will be cool, especially when you pair it up with the alternate uniform. Props to the content team for the rollouts, the video, which I think in the first 20, 25 minutes had 50,000 views. It's really? close to 600,000 as we speak here on this Monday because, to your point, what do fans get excited yeah. about? They want the alternate uniform. They want an upgrade. Well, there were still some fans still a little upset. Okay, great. We got the helmet. Where's the rest of the year? No, just <laughs> relax. Plus... Twelve other teams are going to be having this second helmet, if you will, in 2022. And I, I, I'm thoroughly impressed. It looks fantastic. The description that you just detailed, some words that you know I, I, I don't, you know, gradient, all that stuff, and the the metallic looking bird head. It is phenomenal. The players love it. Kyler Murray, Buda Baker, J.J. Watt, all part of that unveiling video. And if the players are happy then you know what? That's pretty much everything you need to know. It is amazing the traction that the uniform thing gets, whether it's in the locker room. It's important to a lot of the players. We know how important it is to the fan base just based on the views right there. And you know what? Just anecdotally, like when you look in the stands, 
for a, a uniform that's worn once or twice a year, the black jersey, I mean, the percentage of black jerseys you see among the Red Sea yes. is amazing. So, you know, people love themselves some uniform news and and, and new and innovative uniform uh, aspects that, that go on. And so, and you know what? I think it was a great time to unveil the news because it's sort of this dead period. People are getting, okay, where's my football, but it's not here quite yet. So it's sort of filled that void, and and it gives everyone something to talk about. And we're going to see it for like a full week during training camp, aren't we? And and Don't you have to wear it leading wear up to the lead, Ravens yeah. game for a number of practices? Exactly. So they will have to be able to you know work it in, break it in, like a new pair of shoes, yeah. if you will. Sure, but, all right. Yeah, so August 21st. Preseason game against the Ravens, which will be nationally televised. October 9th against the Eagles. And then the third time, October 20th against the Saints. Thursday night football. Those are the three times in which the Cardinals will wear the alternate helmet with the alternate black jerseys. Question is, Paul, on those three days, those three dates, what alternate uniform will you be wearing on the sideline? Uh, well, uh, since they don't let me into the equipment room, maybe I'll just go with my own eye black. Maybe that would be a, a good uh, addition on the sideline just to show that I'm game ready and, and get into the uh, color rush, if you will, with some eye black on the sideline perhaps. But you know, Gree, you have a teenager in the household. That's where it is all <laughs> these days. You know, first thing I did was I took the video and I ran it past the pair of teenagers in Casa Galvisi and I got a double thumbs up. So boom, uh, Cardinals are off to a, a rolling start here even before they've taken the field. And it's, to your point, the timing of all this. Because it follows the Kyler Murray news, great contract. It follows the Rodney Hudson news that he is going to play this season. And Paul, remember, six weeks ago, we were in this same studio yeah. post-mandatory minicamp. And what were our concerns, our questions? And, and for me, it was more of a concern. One, because I, I wasn't too worried about the contract. It, it was going to get down. The question was when, not if. It was Rodney Hudson. And that has been answered, according to reports, and he's in. He's all in. In fact, sitting here in this studio, you and Ron Wolfley had a chance to sit down with General Manager Steve Kime, and he mentioned that Hudson is 100% committed to play this season. Yeah, he used the R word, retirement, that you know maybe there might have been a little consideration at some point during the offseason, especially... If you're a new father, perhaps you hit zoom out and you figure, okay, you know what? I'm financially set. I have generational wealth. All right, what do I want out of life? And so, but yeah, that was a big sigh of relief when we got that news. Think about it. Right after mandatory minicamp, when it was unveiled by the head coach that Rodney Hudson had an unexcused absence, one of us around here popped off that the HBO Hard Knocks cameras <laughs> might have picked the wrong half of the season to document that maybe the first half was telling the second half, hold my beer, the way things were tracking, whether we're going to have all this drama going into training camp. So you eliminated two big storylines. And yeah, it was just a matter of time. I agree on the Kyler contract. And it was always going to be a roller coaster. And there was always going to be drama. And getting from point A to point B was going to involve a lot of different stuff and storylines. I get it. But eventually, you're right. It was just a matter of filling in the blanks. How many years? How many dollars? How many guaranteed dollars? Interesting to see some of the various reports, Sports Illustrated among them, saying that the full guarantee is more like 105, whereas the injury guarantee for catastrophic injury would be the 160. So, you know, it looks like, honestly, and I truly believe this, in two years when the new media money hits the salary cap and it goes from about 208 to closer to $300 million per year, I think this contract for an elite quarterback is going to look well-bought 
within a year or two, especially with the likes of a Joe Burrow coming down the pike, a Lamar Jackson, and a Justin Herbert. Those guys are going to break the bank as well. You look and everyone focuses on the average annual value, $46.1 a season, second highest behind only Aaron Rodgers. But that's just looking at the extension. I went back and kind of looked at this season and next season. So seven years, it's about $38 million a season. Interesting. Average yeah. annual value when you factor in the extension plus these two years that he was already under contract for. Now he's making more than he would have, yet average salary. And to me, you're going to pay 40 to $45 million for a quarterback, a high-caliber quarterback in the National Football League. That's just the going rate. It's the market rate. So it's not a question of deserve. It's the question of worthy of the money. And, yeah, because how many times we've heard from teammates, Justin Pugh, DJ Humphreys, you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. And in case of Humphreys, he was here for several seasons when the quarterback was, let's just say, a revolving door, so to speak. This might sound a little harsh, but if it wasn't for Kyla Murray under contract and as a Cardinals franchise quarterback right now on the verge of this season, why play the season? Honestly. And I hate to bag on the last play Seahawks, but you have Geno Smith and Drew Locke. What are your realistic aspirations and expectations for this season? There is a hard ceiling on what you can truly expect. So when you try and put the value of a franchise quarterback, the most valuable position in any sport, and you you try and translate that into a contract and a paycheck, it's really hard to to value that because in so many ways it's invaluable. It, It makes your entire existence worthwhile. And then to actually drill down into the contract, like you said, Steve Kine pointed out to the media there are some, quote, team-friendly aspects of it. For example, his salary cap number is low this season and next season, and then it really rockets up in balloons come 2024. Well, that's by design because, as I mentioned, the new media money is going to be factored into the salary cap, and the salary cap is going to go up exponentially as well. So it seems like both sides did eventually, ultimately, work with each other to make sure this served both. For example, Kyler Murray this year was scheduled to make $5.5 million. Well, now he's making an average, like you said, of $38 million plus. So there you go. It's a win-win in a lot of ways. And in a year's time, to your point, that contract is, instead of being top two, it's going to be maybe top five, top six when you factor in the quarterbacks that are going to get paid either Lamar Jackson this season or next season when Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are eligible for extensions. I mean, How do you value talent? Think about that. Think about what we've heard just in the last week or so, you heard, you heard Cliff Kingsbury on with Dave Pash saying, and I, I'm quoting loosely, that when Kyler Murray's at his best, who's better? Okay, Kurt Warner on the Big Red Rage saying, if you lined up every quarterback in the NFL right now and just tried to grade them on their skill sets, this is sheer talent, that he's not sure Kyler Murray wouldn't be the most overall talented quarterback in the game. When you combine the arm, the accuracy, the athleticism, everything involved right there. And then what Larry Fitzgerald told the NFL Network less than two weeks ago, that when you look at just his talent level, that it's among the best in the NFL of any player. So you take those sort of scouting reports into account, and then you figure, okay, yeah, this is a $200 million-plus player, Kyler Murray. So that is done. 
and we don't have the question marks or the dark cloud hanging over the start of training camp. Unhappy quarterback, does he show up? Does he hold in, if you will, because no one holds out anymore based off the new CBA. It's not very advantageous to players as far as their pocketbook is concerned. So, again, two biggest issues, if you will, contracts, status of Rodney Hudson, done. Now, as we look with players reporting on Tuesday, first practice on Wednesday, first open practice on Saturday, you can go to azcardinals.com for all of the details on how you can be a part of training camp at State Farm Stadium for you, Paul. Now, what do we need to have answered here over the next month or so before the regular season begins with this team? Now, knowing that you've got your quarterback and your center, those two issues are no longer issues. Right, so the QB question has been answered, uh, part one. Part two of the QB question, who's the quarterback of the defense? That's where my eyes are going to be going first and foremost when we really get out there and you get some some team sessions that are worthwhile and you get past the first five days now because of the CBA really is just going to be in shells and, and a lot of walkthrough, glorified walkthrough stuff. All right, so when you really go team and you really get the first teamers against the first teamers, et cetera, who exactly is the Mike linebacker? Is it Zayvon Collins? Is it Nick Vigil? Maybe it's the two of those guys, but Nick Vigil is calling the defense and, and Zayvon Collins is – you know, right alongside him, still in learning mode, which is fine for me as long as the former first-round pick is on the field. I don't really care. And and I tell you what, Steve Kime on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports, when we were talking to him the end of last week after the press conference, he mentioned just how bright Nick Vigil is. And he's really being impressive from the get-go with Vance Joseph and Bill Davis, the inside linebackers coach. So it wouldn't surprise me based on some of that anecdotal stuff. And then, of course, you know, the second most important thing in the NFL beyond quarterback is can you get to the quarterback? You want to see those two rookie third-rounders, Cameron Thomas, my Jay Sanders. What do they look like? First time they're going to go O-line, D-line. Because, and we talked to Drew Stan about this on the Red Sea Report, and he agreed, you can get a sense right away. Can a rookie pass rusher beat an experienced veteran offensive lineman one-on-one in space? It's inherently an advantage, actually, for the defense, those drills, because you don't have help to your left or right if you're an offensive lineman. And so you realize, A, how does the offensive lineman look in space on an island? But B, can some of these young pass rushers get to the queue? And if not, then I could see a time time sign after the first week of practice, honestly. And and Steve Kime told us with what, ten, eleven, maybe twelve million dollars in cap space yes. right now, that he said, Yeah, yeah, they're they're he, he sort of joked, he said, it's time for some of these veterans to get off the couch. In other words, you know what? Sober up. You're not gonna get the big money that maybe you thought you were gonna get. Here's a realistic deal. Get into camp, earn your keep. And so uh, I, I would say, based on his reaction to our question early, uh, the end of last week, that I would not be surprised by early August, you're going to see maybe a D lineman, an edge rusher, and or a cornerback. I'd put cornerback maybe a little bit higher on that because you don't know outside of Byron Murphy and Marco Wilson. Antonio Hamilton's really the only one with experience within this defense and just experience overall. They did add Josh Jackson, host mandatory minicamp, but he hasn't played a whole heck of a lot. He does have experience yep. in the National Football League, but not recent experience. Only was in, I believe, uh, a couple of games last season with the Chiefs. So there's not a lot of depth. And the one thing we always hear, you can never have enough cornerbacks. And right now this team does not 
have enough cornerbacks, at least with experience. And he did mention that, to your point. Uh, corner would be one of those key areas that, that he might bolster right away. And he might be talking about the likes of, oh, I don't know, a Janoris Jenkins or a Joe Hayden or maybe even a Robert Alford when he says it's time to get off the couch. <laughs> Here's the offer. It's a fair offer. Uh, you know, if you've been angling to miss the entire offseason, great, it worked. But now camp's starting. Get in here. It's only a three preseason game preseason now. There's only three games, so so get in here. And uh, and then especially if you're a new guy. Now, Robert Alford, he has very good knowledge of, of Vance Joseph defense. He's going to be plug and play. But some of these other guys, there's going to be a learning curve if you're a veteran coming from another team. It's funny. We talk about training camp, and when fans get a chance to see the Cardinals in action, everyone looks at the offense. Yet, what do we talk about here initially when we're talking about training camp concerns here on Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai? It's the defense. And is Zayvon Collins calling the defense? Where is Isaiah Simmons playing? Yes, Vance Joseph, you can say he's a linebacker first all you want, but I have yet to see him play linebacker, at least during the open portions of OTAs and mandatory minicamp. And to your point, when you talk about Zayvon Collins, does he have to be that quarterback of the defense? As long as he is on the football field getting defensive snaps, because I know his comments earlier in the offseason about, yeah, he could be the man in the middle, quote, I could be somewhere in the middle but not calling it regarding the defense. I got a little angst amongst some media members, if you will, Ron Wolfley, and some in the fans as well, and I get it, but he needs to be on the field first and foremost. And you know what? I think Vance Joseph gets it. He said it. Uh, the one time he met the media earlier this offseason, he said, and I quote about Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons, it's their time, their first-round picks, they have to help us. That's a direct quote. Now, where? I don't really care, I, honestly, once again. And Isaiah Simmons, for example, most recently was seen at Ryan Clark's DB camp. I did find that interesting. Because, I mean, that's not just, okay, you're going to get a few reps. That's That shows a real commitment to the position if you're traveling to a camp and you're working exclusively with DBs. So what does that mean exactly? And and we've speculated about this. If Isaiah Simmons is going to be on the field, is he going to be a slot corner at times? Is he going to be a deep safety at times, playing center field safety? We saw both of those last year, especially if you're thin at corner. Could one of those three safeties automatically move into the slot, whether it's Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, or Isaiah Simmons based on the matchup? Let's say you get a bigger slot interior receiver. Well, then maybe that's an Isaiah Simmons if you get a quicker guy who's more like a water bug type, and then boom, Buda Baker or Jalen Thompson maybe is checking him in the slot. If you're thin at corner and you're going to put your best players on the field and you're going nickel, your secondary could be Marco Wilson, Byron Murphy, Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, and Isaiah Simmons is that fifth DB. To me, it's about getting the best 11 players on the football field. Sometimes, regardless of what position we typically see them at or what is indicated next to their name on the roster, Simmons can play a number of different positions, and we might see him a little bit more in the secondary than traditionally in the middle of the defense. But his athleticism, and here going into year three, strange to say that, year three of Isaiah Simmons, but this, to Vance Joseph's quote, it's his time, it's their time with Zayvon Collins, 
And Simmons has high expectations for himself when he addressed the media this offseason. Look at the first three games. If the NFL is a game of matchups, everybody now, it's a game of matchups. Well, who are the primary receiving threats in your first two, three opponents? Uh, guess what? Minus Tyree Kill, it's now Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey is an all-pro tight end who runs routes like a receiver. So Isaiah Simmons' position in week one, I've sort of joked, is the guy who covers Travis Kelsey. That's his position. In week two, you get Darren Waller, a Pro Bowl caliber tight end from the Raiders. And then in week three, you know a guy who's really killed the Cardinals over the years? Tyler Higby. He's had a lot of success. So if Vance Joseph is saying, all right, I'm looking at our first three opponents, and those are three primary receiving targets that those quarterbacks love, guess what? We've got to have an answer against those guys. Isaiah Simmons, time to work on your coverage skills, young man. You're going to be that guy downfield in coverage against those three tight ends. Uh, yeah, it, it makes sense you would be in attendance at a Ryan Clark defensive back drill. Buda Baker was there. Deontay Thompson was there as well. But you don't typically see your inside linebacker going through safety position drills. But that's all we saw this entire offseason was Isaiah Simmons working in the secondary with the safety position. So Here, here's the other thing. And tell me if you think this is preposterous or not. What Micah Parsons did last year, the NFL Rookie of the Year, who was darn near the NFL Defensive Player of the Year, his ability to get to the quarterback was special. I, he, he is really a pass-rushing force. I'm not saying Isaiah Simmons is that guy, but if the NFL is a copycat league, do you think the Cardinals defensive staff looked at Micah Parsons and said, hmm, Isaiah Simmons could be that guy for us to a certain degree because we did see him on the edge at times last year. We saw him mugging the A-gap a lot. Micah Parsons, eventually they put him anywhere and everywhere, and he truly was an X-factor for the Cowboys' defense. I'm not so sure Isaiah Simmons doesn't have some of that in his future as well this season. Well, let's cross-promote the Day Pash podcast. Cliff Kingsbury, a guest on the most recent edition of the Pash pod, and asked about which defensive player that he was most interested in seeing. Kingsbury brought up Isaiah Simmons and then talked about finding a role, excited about the role that they've figured out in which Simmons can play. Now, there was no follow-up from Dave Pash, one that I certainly would have asked if it was myself. <laughs> Nothing against Dave Pash. Went to a fine institution at Syracuse University. But the obvious follow-up to that wow, role it's, is... It's Cuse on exactly, Cuse crime here. Is, okay, well, what role is that? Now, of course, Dave's a lot smarter than that. He knows Kingsbury's not going to answer that question. We'll have to wait and see. But if they figured out a role, now we're left to wonder what role is yeah. that. Okay, so let, let's think about this. You lost Chandler Jones, obviously and you're in the same position you were before you had Chandler Jones, in that an offensive coordinator is going to look at your defense and he's going to say, I don't necessarily have that premier pass rusher that I have to game plan against, which is one of the primary reasons Steve Kine pulled off that heist with the Patriots and acquiring Chandler Jones once upon a day, once upon a time. Could Isaiah Simmons be that guy? Could Isaiah Simmons be the guy that when Sean McVay looks at the Cardinals goes, okay, let's see what are our priorities on offense. Oh, we better have an answer for number nine because that dude could be anywhere and everywhere at any time. So if I'm Vance Joseph, I'm trying to give offenses a lot to think about, minus Chandler Jones in particular. 
because that that's the risk, right? And and what did Chandler Jones do for everyone else on that defensive front? Just in in garnering that sort of attention on every snap, they always had to have an answer for him. Whether you know, as Andrew Whitworth was one of the few guys, or a Trent Williams who could really block him one on one. Otherwise, there was always extra attention paid to a, a Chandler Jones. So with that in mind, I, I'm thinking, you know what? That's feasible that they're going to turn Isaiah Simmons into the guy that when the opposing quarterback breaks the huddle and he's walking up to the line of scrimmage, he's immediately got his head on a swivel. Where is he? Where is number nine? That's going to dictate what we're doing on this snap. Might be the biggest question on defense. Where is Isaiah Simmons playing once training camp opens? Let's switch it up, talk about the offense. And, of course, everyone wants to know what the offense is going to look like without DeAndre Hopkins. And I don't think, Paul, we're going to get an answer in training camp, we're certainly not going to get an answer during preseason because I'm not expecting Kyler Murray to play a whole lot, if at all. D-Hop, maybe not either. We're not going to know that answer until week one, week two, where you get a handful of games. Now, again, he's missing six, but it's going to be repeatedly asked of not only the head coach, but the offensive coaches and the offensive players, what do you do? Because we know what happened last season. When you did not have D-Hop, this offense struggled. It can't struggle getting out of the gate this year. And and I sort of asked that question. It was in a different setting, and Cliff Kingsbury was talking to some business leaders. It was sort of a QA. and a And I asked that question sort of in a roundabout way, and his immediate answer was, well, we have Hollywood Brown now. And, and look, if you've been out there and you've seen a media member, if you've been out there and you've seen what the Cardinals offseason consisted of, uh, you couldn't help but be impressed by the chemistry already between Kyla Murray and Hollywood Brown. Makes sense. Obviously, he was a big part of Kyler's Heisman winning campaign at Oklahoma. Even before Kyler was a starter, when he's backing up Baker Mayfield, you've heard Hollywood Brown talk about how their game every week was just going against, you know, as the scout team offense, going against Oklahoma's first team defense. They would go after and just get after it. And so when you see them in action and they already have hand signals and they're making eye contact and they're making adjustments, they already have an understanding between them. I fully expect this to be productive from the get-go, for this to be plug and play. Unlike bringing in a rookie first-round receiver, there's going to be a learning curve, not only the offense, but the NFL in general. That's not the case here. This is far more advanced, and I think it's going to be far more productive. And then when you see number two pushing number four and vice versa, Rondale Moore, these guys already have a good little friendly rivalry going because they have kind of a similar skill set. And if you're going to unleash Rondale Moore downfield uh, more often, and and we definitely know he wants more of that. Cliff Kingsbury to Dave Pash said, you know what, he wasn't real thrilled about the manner in which we used him last year, Rondell Moore, sort of a horizontal guy versus a vertical guy. To me, those are the immediate two answers in response to how do you cope without DeAndre Hopkins. It's got to be Hollywood Brown and Rondell Moore. The X factor here also, Paul, is Zach Ertz and a full offseason with him in the building on the football field. And it was a target that Kyler Murray looked all repeatedly towards Zach Ertz's direction late in the season without D-Hop. Now you've got more pieces around them. You can better uh, better get figured out as far as adjusting without number 10 on the football field. But just how much do we see Zach Ertz as part of the passing game as far as where he's lining up as the X receiver in the slot? Does he begin with his hand in the dirt and then flare out over the middle? We talked. We heard from Ertz initially 
how much space he was operating with when he was running routes. I certainly would expect that to continue, even if you don't have D-Hop. Go back to the win, and I'm looking at it right here. I'm looking at the box score. Week 7, Cardinals got down 5 nothing against the Houston Texans, scored 31 unanswered. They won 31-5 to to go 7-0. and Zach Ertz in that game had a career-long 47-yard touchdown. Career-long 47-yard touchdown. And his quote after the game was, I've never seen so much green grass in the middle of the field. Why was that? Because guess what? The Cardinals had the weapons out there that were spreading the field, spreading the defense. DeAndre Hopkins was in that game, a Rondell Moore. So now, especially with the return of D-Hop starting Week 7 this coming season, to your point, Zach Ertz is going to have so much room to work underneath when defenses are trying to account for a Rondell Moore and a Hollywood Brown and some of the deep stuff and the chunk throws that they have to be responsible for. And a DeAndre Hopkins always commanding extra attention. Zach Ertz, especially if they're able to flex him out, if there's going to be a two tight end set, if Trey McBride is what they think he is. And so far in talking to the coaches over the last week, they are really excited to see what he looks like in pads because he has fulfilled every expectation so far as what they consider the top tight end in this past draft the round two selection. But yeah, Zach Ertz, and now with his knowledge of this offense and his chemistry with Kyla Murray, uh, all you fantasy football people out there, uh, boom, you might want to think twice about Big 86. In just 11 games last season, Ertz had 574 receiving yards, and that was the most for a Cardinals tight end since 2003. Again, he did that in just 11 games without an offseason, without a training camp, without a preseason with his quarterback. So just imagine what kind of numbers. Now maybe it's more spread out, but imagine what Zach Ertz can do and a motivated Zach Ertz coming off a contract extension. And here's the other thing I'll throw out there when it comes to the tight end position. Let's zoom out for a little bit because Trey McBride, and we mentioned this a couple of times, and now we get to see it for real in training camp. What does the offense look like with two tight ends? And when you get Max Williams back, and although he's on puff right now, you hope at some point this season you could have three viable tight ends. What does that mean? Because what Trey McBride told the media after he was drafted, quote, Coach Cliff wants to disguise the offense a little bit more. End quote. Ding! Absolutely. What he said right there is something I think is going to come to fruition this year and and Drew Stanton has been vocal about this has he not in the Red Sea report that with multiple tight ends you're not showing your hand as much it's that much more difficult for a defense to decipher are they running it or are they throwing it and when James Conner was really rolling some of those big games was when Max Williams yep. was healthy and because you had a dual tight end is he going <laughs> to is he going to bust the end with a, with a big-time run block? Is he going to get downfield and be a threat in the passing game? And just that w- bit of hesitation by a defense as to what's coming, run or pass, is all you need. As far as camp battles, I don't think there are a ton, but you're looking on offense, number two running back, Eno Benjamin, maybe the most talked-about player this offseason as far as how much attention he received and got unannounced. I mean, for, was, a, for a guy who was in the doghouse the first two years, he got a lot of platitudes the soft season. He did. It was the head coach, <laughs> Calvin Beecham, Justin Pugh, all bringing up Eno Benjamin, and can he take that next step and be that number two running back? Or is it 
a Daryl Williams? Is it Keontae Ingram? Jonathan Ward's on this roster. I'm saying, you know, running back, it might be the deepest position group that this team has, regardless offense or defense, when you look at all of them. Well, you're going to keep maybe four. It might be a, a struggle to keep five, but can Eno Benjamin be that Chase Edmonds, if you will, to James Conner? Yeah, get ready for a big August. Eno Benjamin, you're going to get a lot of carries. You're going to get a lot of touches, a lot of opportunities to prove that what you showed this offseason wasn't a fluke, uh, to prove that, guess what, uh, as a guy who's going into the last year of that contract, you know what, uh, you know, you are a viable option. You do have a future in this organization. A- and he's got a road to hope because of Jonathan Ward is so good on special teams that you're going to have to unplant that sort of guy who has a role elsewhere. But Eno has remedied the two deficiencies in his game. One, pass pro. He's no longer a liability when it comes to pass protection. Can't get your quarterback killed. And by all accounts, he's made a lot of improvement in that area. And then number two, the coaches can trust him in his playbook. He's not a mental error waiting to happen. That's not something they have to worry about anymore. Hence, when you solve those two things as a running back, now, guess what? We'll start feeding you. You can be part of this offense, and based on what we saw, little snippets last year, just ask Drake Kirkpatrick <laughs> when he got trucked in the Niners game, guess what? He can play. And Eno Benjamin has talked about, and his, his teammates have verified, that he made a lot of those practices as a scout team running back the last couple of years. That was game day for him. And so when he had his moments last year, I can't tell you how the whole sideline came unglued. I mean, they really got after it, and how much – they, they enjoyed watching Eno Benjamin excel, and I think that's because he's been one of those guys who's earned it in practice. Well, in the words of Cliff Kingsbury, quote, looks like he could be a starting running back. That's about as high praise yeah. as you're going to get from a head coach. And again, it was consistent all offseason. When he says that, though, I'm not going to lie, the conspiracy theorist in me. Wondered. Okay, wait a minute. You're always on that grassy knoll. They have a crowded running back room. Is he really trying to prop up Eno Benjamin? Maybe a team who has an injury situation midway through camp or nearing the start of the regular season might be apt to make a trade for an Eno Benjamin and they get something in return as opposed to maybe just making him a final, you know, casualty of the final 53. I just, it makes you wonder a little bit. Maybe what he's telling the rest of the NFL is keep an eye on number 26. He can play. We don't necessarily have room for him on this roster. Make us an offer. He could be available. Uh, I, that, it wouldn't be the first or last time the head coach has done that, sort of working in concert with the front office. Former seventh-round draft pick out of ASU. So, look, pay attention to Eno Benjamin and that number two running back position. And you look at the offensive line, and again, I'm going to bring up the conversation that you and Wolfley had with Steve Keim on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station when you talk about the competition on the O-line. Right guard, Will Hernandez, Justin Murray, and according to Keim, Josh Jones, which was a little surprising to hear. Yes, he did play it last season, but we were all under the assumption that perhaps it's right tackle, Kelvin Beecham and Josh Jones. So is Josh Jones going to be now working both positions at some point this training camp? But just something to keep an eye on, Bird Game, because it was the general manager that brought it up unannounced and without prompting. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised. Um, you know, Josh Jones had his ups and downs last year at right guard. So, and at six foot seven, it, it, it could be a tough putt for a guy that size to be an in, 
exterior guard. I just sort of figured after last year that he was much more apt to be a tackle. But you need positional flexibility in today's NFL, especially when you're not a starter. you got to be able to fill in virtually anywhere along that offensive line if you want a spot on the final roster, so that's key. And then number two, he's a young guy, former third-round pick. It's coming towards decision time. Do they invest in his future or not? Whereas the two guys he would be competing with at right guard, guess what? They're in the last year of a contract. And so who is the future at that position? So it sounds like the GM Steve Kime wants another look at Josh Jones as a guard. Uh, He's also going to be there and penciled in behind Kelvin Beecham, I'm presuming. But uh, we'll see. I was surprised to learn that that would be a three-headed battle at right guard because honestly I thought it was going to be Will Hernandez against Justin Murray. Jones last season, nine starts at right guard three at right tackle and he has that imposing size but his biggest liability he was the most penalized player on the team Mm. and it's not the holding calls it's the false start calls when all of a sudden first and 10 becomes first and 15 or second and one near the goal line is now a second and six and that changes your play sheet as far as what the head coach wants to do on offense and once again if the coaches lose trust in you, and you're having those pre-snap penalties, uh, and all of a sudden your offense is behind the chains before the drive even starts, yeah, that, that's how you lose the trust of a coaching staff. So the good news is, though, that's very correctable. And, you know, it's something that D.J. Humphrey struggled with a little bit early in his career, and then he got a handle on that. So that's something, obviously, that you can correct. And, you know, once again, I just – you look at the offensive line, and you see that competition on that side of the ball, and they need to see it out of Josh Jones. This is a big training camp for the young man who has a world of talent. He has the size. He has the personality. But they got to see it come to fruition. And I'm guessing he's going to get as many snaps as anyone in these preseason games. Well, and the gauntlet was laid down at the end of the season. Kingsbury said, quote, we need him next year to really step up question is has Josh Stones done that this offseason to where maybe he has to the general manager sitting here in this studio saying yeah Jones we could see him at right guard or right tackle and you know what for everyone who says that uh, Kyler Murray sort of keeps to himself on the sideline I would cite Josh Jones an example <laughs> you mentioned those nine starts he had last year and 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 there were times once again where he had his struggles at right guard and When you're going against the Aaron Donalds of the world and you're playing guard for the first time in an NFL game, it's going to happen. But Kyler Murray would come down, and at times there was some tough love between the quarterback and his right guard. So uh, I think Josh Jones, if he has any self-awareness whatsoever, I think he realizes the magnitude of this training camp and how much he has to prove to the coaching staff and his quarterback. Four weeks at State Farm Stadium, plus one week, a couple of practices, joint practices with the Tennessee Titans, which might be the best practices all training camp long, including preseason action. So those days with the Tennessee Titans, I know it's something that this coaching staff has wanted to do since Kingsbury arrived. It's just not really feasible logistically to do it in Arizona, but I'm okay with them doing it somewhere else or if it's a couple of weeks somewhere else and next season they do well the Patriots always do with two or three teams it seems more and more clubs are looking at those joint practices because as monotonous as training camp begins to be after about two weeks three weeks 
kind of know what to expect. Yeah. So you yeah. and, and you interject that different element and see who rises, as BA like to say, you know, when the lights are on, who plays? Yeah. And you know what? It makes sense in a lot of ways that it is the Titans. First off, Cliff Kingsbury and Mike Vrabel used to be Patriots teammates for, for a while. So you have that relationship between the head coaches, which is vital. you got to be on the same page, right, when the two head coaches, when we do these joint practices. Number two, if the Titans were the ones who called the Cardinals and said, hey, you guys wanted to get together for some joint practices, that would make sense based on what happened last year in week one. <laughs> the Titans obviously were not ready to start their season. Uh, the Cardinals just went in and jack-stopped him in their own building. So Mike Vrabel's like, you know what? We keep our friends close and our enemies closer. If we want to figure out whether we're ready to go, maybe we should practice against these Cardinals since they're not on our schedule this year because we know how last year started. I vividly remember the Bird Gang taking over the first couple rows behind the Cardinals bench, and Cardinals fans at the end of that lopsided win by the Cardinals screaming out at some of the Titans fans wearing jerseys, stuff like, you know, hey! This guy's going to need a new team this year. Should I give him my jersey? I mean, Titans fans were just hearing it from the Cardinals fans who made that road trip. So this time, Mike Brabel maybe is going to have a better sense of whether his team is equipped and ready to start a regular season. Instead of playing the Cardinals, you practice against them. 38-13, to maybe the biggest surprise of Week 1 as far as the team and players that people were talking about Monday morning. And then yeah. all of a sudden, the video surfaced of J.J. Watt. I believe he was mic'd up or within earshot of a microphone walking off the field. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but screaming, not a surprise. That was to be expected. That's what we do. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> call me entertained yeah. and, and, and surprised as well. Yeah, no doubt. And you know what? Um, that, that, that just demonstrates that we might think we know what we're seeing in a preseason. You have no idea. Nobody expected that. Nobody thought the Cardinals would go in and just hammer Derrick Henry. And, and just absolutely render him feeble and useless in that game. Nobody thought the Cardinals would win going away. Nobody thought the Cardinals would physically manhandle the Tennessee Titans in that game. So for everything we think we know about teams in the preseason, so much of what you see in these preseason games can be a false positive or a false negative. You really have no idea. And, and you know, the inverse, Steve Wilkes, 2018, we all felt pretty good coming out of that preseason and then Boom! A three and thirteen season unfolds in front of us. So everything we see here, um, guess what? You know, take it with a grain of salt and just try and gauge it accordingly as to whether it's a full speed drill or not. Are they running a vanilla scheme or not? And then we'll just wait for the season opener against the Kansas City Chiefs in week one. Yeah, those uh, hot takes, Paul, that you'll have following the first padded practice when you're ready to declare X player as the Pro Bowl player of 2022. By the way, before we And that's note to self. I mean, I put myself (laughs) at the top of that list. By the way, but but before we head on out of here, Paul, the you know, we're all packed and ready to go. The Polly Pigskin breakout player oh, of camp. Uh, oh, are we ready to yeah. unveil that, or are we still uh, diving through your notes and everything? So I got some early intel. I can't reveal the name. Okay. He is truly way off the radar to the point where um, my boxes are bunging a little bit going with this particular player because it is way off the radar. But I do have until Wednesday. I have another 48 hours True. Uh, upon which I, I had vowed. So I need to do a little more uh, digging, a little more research, consult with a few more sources. <laughs> to confirm or deny whether I may or may not be on the right track. Fair enough. As long as yeah. we get it before that first official practice, which is on Wednesday. 
That's right. Not on yeah. August 12th. Right. Where you've got you know a week and a half into camp, you're like, okay, yeah, that's my breakout player. Like, no, it doesn't yeah. work that way. And once again, um, I'm in a dry spell. I had JoJo Ward a couple of years ago. Um, we had Zane Lewis, the corner out of Air Force, didn't work out so well. Uh, I had mandatory Strebler. I thought that was a revelation for a little bit, not so much, as it turns out. So really, yeah, the, the pressure is on. Whereas Kyler, at his press conference, said, you know, he welcomes all the pressure. Yours truly, not so much. I would say, yes, the pressure is definitely on Paul Calvisi. <laughs> and on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Mamandro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time from training camp here on Cardinals Cover 2.